<laughs> well, uh, you'll be happy to know that Danielle and I survived the sleepover challenge. <laughs> With four, the four or five, or oh, three plus Madeline, she's enough for three. And uh, so we had seven though. <laughs> Four young girls sleeping over. It was Maddie, well, it's Maddie's birthday on Friday, but we had a party for her and uh, we took girls to the movies and we took them out for dinner with Nana and Papa and then we survived the sleepover. And so uh, we're pretty proud of that. Uh, I don't know much sleep was done. Um, I think they were watching TV. Madeline knows how to operate the tally and the DVD. So, you know, I think while Mum and Dad were sleeping, they were having a good old party. And it was about 5.30 in the morning, I think we heard some voices. So... Um, so we survived our first sleepover, which is awesome. And uh, the noise level was sort of went up a few decibels. And uh, I just sort of got a picture of what maybe dads who have four or five girls looks like. And uh, I tell you, I take off my hat off to those. Any dads here? Any, any dads here with three or more daughters? Absolute saints. Well done, guys. Well done that you're still here. Let's give them a round of applause. That's, that's impressive. To survive that and a wife is something else, eh? <laughs> Told you I'm going to talk about uh, the union of marriage today. We're going to have a bit of a laugh. And um, what I do want to say is, you know, we've been looking at this topic, will you marry me? And we're up to part four. And it's not just, you know, whether you're married or not is not the point. We all, we're coming to something bigger than just whether you're married or not. We, this is something for every one of us because, you know, Paul wasn't married and he understood what God was trying to show him through the scriptures. Paul actually does say, if you go read 1 Corinthians 7, he actually advises you. It doesn't make it a command, but he says, you know, I wish you were actually like me. I wish you were unmarried because then you'd have focus and time on building the kingdom. He says, if you can't, it's okay. He says, but don't lose sight if you get married of building the kingdom. And as you work through that, he actually says, you know, if you are married, live as if you're not. If you have all these things, live as if you haven't. Now, he's not saying go and get a divorce. He's not saying go and give all your stuff away. He's just saying it's a heart perspective to carry the kingdom first and foremost. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will add all these things to you. It was a little, little bit like what James said in Philippians. What Paul was saying is as you give away, as you release, you know what, you're going to come into a greater sense of freedom in every area of your life. Why? Because you're serving, you're a giver, not a taker. And that's what really what God's trying to do through all of our hearts. Is to, he's trying to establish himself, as, as Debbie just beautifully articulated, as the number one person in our lives. Cool? And so this is for all of us. And, um, you know, I, I gave us some homework um, last week as a good teacher. Anyone do the homework? Mate, there's rewards if you did the homework. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I ask you to go to Ephesians 5:22 to 32 and just have a read of that passage and allow the Holy Spirit just to show you um, certain things through that. And so we're going to look at that. I'm going to rip that apart this morning. But what I, what, I, what I will share, I think, I know it has for me, it's going to challenge some of our understanding of marriage. And so if you are married here today, you're thinking about getting married, maybe you're engaged or somewhere along the process, you know, it's a desire of your heart, listen up because I think it is going to challenge some of our thinking and the purpose of why God gave us marriage. And so my hope is that we'd capture 
uh, a greater purpose of what I, uh, personally what I believe God has shown me as to why he created this covenantal relationship between the man and the woman. But before we, we do that, I uh, want to have another laugh with you. And this is something my mum sent me. And it's called The Guy's Rules. So guys, we're going to really enjoy this. Uh, women, you can stone me later. Um, number one, learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. We need it up, you need it down. You don't hear us complaining about leaving it down. Come on, guys, help me out here, man. That's a really slow response. Sunday sports, it's like the full moon or the changing of tides. Let it be. Shopping is not a sport. And no, we are never going to think of it that way. I love this. Crying is blackmail. Here's this one, guys. Ask for what you want. Let us be clear on this one. Subtle hints do not work. Strong hints do not work. Obvious hints do not work. Just say it. Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. (laughs) Here you go. Come to us with a problem only if you want help solving it. That's what we do. Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for. (laughs) A headache that lasts 17 months is a problem. See a doctor. (laughs) Anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all all comments become null and void after seven days. If something we said can be interpreted two ways and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant it the other way. (laughs) I love this. You can either ask us to do something or tell us how you want it done, not both. If you already know best how to do it, just do it yourself. (laughs) Is this going to get me stoned, ladies? If we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing's wrong. (laughs) We know you are lying, but it's just not worth the hassle. (laughs) If you, last one, I'll move on. If you ask a question you don't want an answer to, expect an answer you don't want to hear. (laughs) No doubt Paul knew something and the reason he said, Husbands, You are to love your wives as Christ loves the church and ladies just submit or subject because he knew something about men, didn't he? (laughs) He was one. And so I want to rip this passage apart because there are things in here that, um, that I have never seen before and certainly from seeing them. So come with me to Ephesians 5. Um... Things are changing in my own heart. I hope they are changing in my marriage. You'll have to ask Danielle. She'll tell you whether that's the case or not. Um, so let's go. I want to read this in Ephesians 5, verses 22. Let's start here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be there sorry also so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify he being Jesus God 
um, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're going to unpack a bit of that. There's a powerful truth in there. This mystery is great. Okay, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So my first thought, my only thought today, well not my only thought, but my main sort of point, everyone, is behind the mystery lies a greater reality. Behind the mystery of what Paul is talking about here lies a greater reality that he hopes that we would come into and it's tied into Christ and his church. There is a truth concealed here. And we know, and we've talked about this in Proverbs 25 too, it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of a king who will go and search out the matter. And I'm going to suggest to you today that there is a concealed truth that God wants for us to go find and it's something far greater than just how a husband and a wife live out their earthly marriage. And one of the things I've been saying over the last few weeks and I'm going to say it again and I'm going to continue to say it is that I think we're very good at taking what God intends to be means and we make them ends. And his intention is to show us or give us environments or truths that point us to him, but we in our limited thinking make them ends in amongst themselves. Things like grace, things like the law. The Pharisees made the law an end. And when the one who what encompassed the whole thing came and stood in front of them, they missed him. Why? Because they'd made this law an end, not something that points towards him. The law is in place that we would recognise our sin and know we need a saviour, hence grace came. But then we take grace and we make grace an end in amongst itself. We think that's it. We think what Jesus did on the cross is it. And we pitch a tent and we stay here. And we never go, as Brooke said, into the house, we stay on the porch. And so God gives us these environments, things even like healing, We make healing an end in itself. We even make the Holy Spirit an end. We go all around the world trying to chase wherever the Spirit's going. The Spirit lies within us. Everything God said, the kingdom has come. Change the way you think. It's right here. Activate what Jane said. Activate in it now. You don't have to go chasing all around the place. Now, I'm not saying saying that's wrong in itself. What I'm trying to make the point is we can make the Holy Spirit an end and not a means to something greater. He is a deposit, the Bible says, that's given to us that we would fulfill the transformation, the journey I mentioned last week, the goal of our faith is spiritual transformation into the image of the one we follow. That's why the Holy Spirit, one of the major reasons the Holy Spirit's given to us, to convict us of sin, to convict the world of sin, to show us our wrong ways and to put us on the pathway. But we can make the Holy Spirit an end instead of, a means, and I believe we do the same with marriage, and we do it with our children, and we make these things an end. What did Peter do when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses? So they go up there, 
And there's Jesus with Elijah and Moses, and he's there with the other disciples, James and John, and he says, should we pitch a tent? This is good. This is amazing that we're here, and Jesus is in all his glory. And he wants to pitch a tent. He wants to camp. He wants to, hey, we've arrived. This is where we are. Let's just stop right here. And Jesus is going, no, no, I'm just showing you my future state. I'm showing you something, the king returning in all his glory. No, 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 we're not going to stop here. We're on a journey, a journey of transformation. The kingdom is going from glory to glory. Well, the kingdom is within me. As I said, my body's not going from glory to glory. It's decaying. But my spirit, my ability to see from God's perspective, my be able to hear from God's perspective, the spirit that lies within me is to be able to perceive and attain the things of the kingdom and see things and move in realities because it's right there. But Peter wants to set up camp. Let's just stop. No, why do we do this? Why does Peter do this? Why do we do it as people? Because we have our minds set on the things below, meaning earthly thinking, and not on the things above, which is kingdom perspective. And Paul teaches us this in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. He says, now that you have received Christ and are seated with him, set your minds on the things above, not on the things below. You see, the church is to live with a top-down mindset, not a bottom-up one. Aren't we? Maybe. Our thinking is to be defined by heaven's culture, not the world's. The way we move and perceive is to be perceived from the realm Jesus came from. Because we have the Spirit living within us. Not to think like the world, not to live like the world. Paul said, your citizenship is in heaven. Well, if I'm a citizen of a place called heaven, then heaven should define the way I think, the way I live, the choices I make, my lifestyle, everything that I perceive from heaven's reality now here on earth. So I'm literally seeing as God sees. I think like Christ thinks. I see the things in his pattern, in his design, the way he builds the church, the reason he gives us these environments for a much greater purpose than if I see him if I'm living from an earthly perspective, trying to look up and understand. Listen to what he says. This is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, get behind me because you set your mind on man's interest and not God's. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going into Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And Peter says, no, no, no. They're not. And he gets all big and tries to stop what has to happen, the will of God, the reason Jesus came. Why? He says, because you set your mind on man's interests. Not on mine. You can set your man's interests around your marriage, around your kids, around your sport, around your career, around money. And he's going, no, no, it's about having God's interests with every environment I've given you that leads you to me. The whole point of these things is to lead us to him. Love me with all your heart, everything, because it's about him. Why? Because right from day one, God wrote into this incredible manual, into his creation, an eternal marriage with him, his father, and his bride. And it's been there ever since he started creation. But can we see it? Is it a reality for us? Because here we see Paul calling it a mystery. 
But then we see Jesus telling us in Matthew that God has granted the church to know the mysteries because we have the Spirit. It's no longer to be a mystery, it's to be a reality that we walk in. We capture the revelation of the mystery, it transforms you into your reality. And we're going to unpack some of these things. How many people can remember um, this guy here? Have you put that picture up? Anyone remember this guy? What was his name? Greg. Greg. <laughs> See, that's a compliment. He was very popular. But he, I love Eagle. Hey, Willie! <laughs> that was the, the father of the house. But this guy was an alien from another planet. He, he sung a song. My name is Alf and I'm stuck on Earth. I can't get back to my place of birth. Paul says that in here. He says, you know what? He says, I really want to be with you. He says, I've seen things. I'm on a journey. You know, I'm saved, but I haven't attained all there is to be attained. I can see from heaven's perspective, I have a culture, a citizenship of heaven in me, and I'm living here on earth from that perspective. So it defines everything. Everything I hold lightly. Because why? Because this is what I've seen. And he says, I'd rather be up with you, but for the sake of the church, I know I'm to stay. And I know I'm to bring this reality to the church because the church, you and I, are to think kingdom perspective down, not bottom up. So he stays to continue to try and influence the church, that the church would walk in these realities, we have the Spirit of God within us, which means we are to live from the perspective of having a kingdom culture or citizenship in our hearts and minds, so we think and live out our lives here on earth from this perspective. This is why it's so important that apostles and prophets play their function and role in the body of Christ. Why? Because that's part of their grace gifting on their life is to see patterns and blueprints and what God's saying and bring it down to God's people. And as they work in a team with the other three giftings, this incredible synergy starts to happen. And the Bible says when that happens, the church comes to the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Christ, and the perfect man, meaning the bride of Christ. It's why we need to honour giftings on people's lives because they carry grace gifts. The apostle and the prophet carry a grace gift that the other three don't carry. They have their own grace gift to do certain things. It's not, it's not one's better than the other. It's a functioning role. And within that five you have Jesus Christ. He was all five encompassed. They work together, submit to one another and they release heaven's realities. It's a top-down perspective, not a bottom-up one. This is why it is important our minds are being renewed via the Spirit daily because our mind is like a gate and it will either release kingdom perspective or shut it down, won't it? Our minds are like a gate. The way you think will either release things or shut them. Jesus said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. You can bind things and you can loosen things. But if that's not your, inside your mentality, if you're, oh, I'm just this useless person that, you know, I'm saved by the grace, but, you know, I'm really a nobody. Well, there's a truth to that. But then he says, no, no, you're my son. You're a daughter of heaven. You're a citizen from another place. You're waiting. This, your citizenship's here. 
and you start engaging with who your full identity is. I'm going to talk tonight about being redefined by Jesus. The reason he came was to redefine us, to change us. And so, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, I'm humble. I'm, I'm the, I understand I'm really no one without you. But then when I meet you, my goodness, you in me is the hope of the world. I'm a son. I'm a son of the king. I have an inheritance of the kingdom. And God wants to move that kingdom through me, firstly in my heart, that I would see, understand, and move in that, and then externally. Hence why uh, Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your thinking via the Spirit of God. It only really can happen via the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read this out to you so I get all this down. I believe, me personally, and carry a biblical conviction that the number one reason God gave us this marriage covenant between a man and a woman is to empower us in the spiritual transformational process of being conformed into his image. Whereby engaging in this process of the man loving his wife and laying his life down for her as Christ does for him, and the wife subjecting or submitting herself to this loving leadership, his reflection, meaning Christ's reflection, is being formed in both parties. So we will be ready at the return of our groom because the goal of this refining process is to present the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, but being holy and blameless. Christ wants to marry a bride that reflects himself if you want to get that again can I encourage you to go and have a listen on the CD or grab the, on, the, on the website but Paul paints this picture of how a husband and wife are to respond to one another in this relationship of marriage and the roles they play but then he draws our attention to something far greater so listen to what he says he says he even uses this word mystery to describe this and we've talked about this so he says this in verse 32, that this mystery, what I'm talking about, this whole thing about a husband loving and, and, and dying and a woman submitting and Christ in them, this, this, is, this is a mystery. And it's a mystery, it's a great mystery. Later on I'm going to talk about why the enemy is, wants to stop the church receiving this understanding of this. Because I've never heard the bride of Christ preached in all my years of being in, in, in church. But it's in the book. So this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. The NIV says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Our earthly marriage covenant is a foreshadow, a typology of what is to come in the future. And there is a mysterious element to understanding the bride of Christ, but as I've said, Jesus says, I've given you the spirit, I've given you the, the keys to unlock kingdom realities. So as God's people, this is to, we're to be moving into the understanding of what he's trying to talk to us here about why God would give us, is there a greater purpose and a greater meaning behind this thing we call marriage? You see, so often I've read this passage and just thought, okay, I need to love Danielle and lay my life down for her and she is to submit to this loving, serving relationship and we'll have a great marriage. And my testimony is I viewed marriage as an end. I thought, well, that's it. You know, I speak to so many Christians and it's like the day I get married, the day, and, we, and, and the church even preaches this and teaches this, that you know, you've got to find the one person. That almost destroyed our marriage. Our marriage never, almost never happened because of that teaching. 
Because there's only one ever person for you. And you, you go, there's something way bigger, way bigger that God's trying to communicate to his church. Why? Do we ever ask why? Greg, God, or Greg, why would I want to lay my life down for this woman? Why would I want to love her as Christ loves me? That's a huge ask, isn't it? Why would she want to place herself under my leadership or my covering? Why? You know, so often we just... And we, I mean, the world gets upset at this. Even the, I'm, not, I'm not submitting. And because we're looking at it through law eyes. We have a relationship with the rules, not a person. And so we look at it just so law-based. I'm not submitting. I'm not laying my life down. And we never say, what would be the greater purpose? Why would I want to engage with that God? What are you trying to show me as this happens? What are you trying to do in me and my wife as this happens? And this is the sort of some of the questions, and I can encourage you to ask these questions of Scripture. Why am I to love you with everything I have? Why did you send yourself? Why, why, why? What's the purpose behind it all? As opposed to right, wrong, do as you're told, be a good boy. That's just the law. That's a relationship with a set of rules, not a person that really doesn't lead you anywhere. It certainly doesn't lead you into freedom. So why would Danielle and I want to live this reality out and I believe it's because of this greater purpose. The answer, this is my perspective, because as we both engage in this process, we are being transformed by the Spirit from a motive of love into His image. And He wants to marry a bride that reflects Him. In this process, love is being formed. We are to become love. We are to become grace, mercy. Peace and joy is to be a tangible substance that sits within us. It's not just a nice thought in the Bible. So when stuff kicks off and stuff happens, that peace and that joy kick in. I'm not falling over. I'm not giving God the fingers. I'm not swearing at God. I'm not walking away from God. Now listen, I'm not saying we don't share our emotions with God, but what I'm saying is it doesn't take us to a dark place where we now don't believe in him anymore because the God that I had, the image of God that I had in my head who would supply all my needs whenever I wanted, he's not there. Have you ever asked yourself why love is the greatest attribute in the kingdom? Why? Out of faith, hope and love, why is love the greatest? See, God wants his love formed in us. So I believe it sits there. The Spirit of God lives within me. God wants a release of his Spirit. God wants to take over my entire... His kingdom is in my heart and it wants to come out. And so my perspective, his love is being formed in both of us. As I lay my life down as Christ as Christ did for me. I know what that did for my life. When I got the revelation of his love, it has catapulted me into this thing called Christianity. It's the only thing. It's the, it's the thing that, it's why I sit here today talking to you. It's not because I want to be a senior leader. It's not because I want to be a worship leader, whatever. It's because of his love. And as I submit to that process, what is that going to do for my wife? What is that going to do for men? What is that going to do for my children? 
when a father lives this role out in this environment. I mean, can you imagine the transformational environment this will be when a man and a woman decide to make a choice and engage in this? So there are so many benefits to our life here on earth, but it is preparing us for something way bigger with him. And he's looking for a bride that reflects him. As I choose to die and love Danielle, and she submits to me, we are both being formed into him. He's looking for himself. Spotless, blameless. Now I want to ask as a question, I want to start with the men. Are you a husband worth subjecting or submitting to? I'm asking that to me. It's a question I've been asking. Am I a husband? Am I going to be a husband? If I want to get married one day, will I be a husband who is worth submitting to? A lady, a woman wants to submit. She's wired to come under a man's leadership, a godly man's leadership, a servant leadership. She's wired to do it. Question for you ladies. Same question really. Where do I find it? Are you a wife worth dying for? Powerful question, isn't it? Are you a lady that's or want to be a wife that's worthy of a man choosing to die again? his will, and love you as Christ loves. Are you a woman worthy of that? Powerful, big questions. How do we become a husband worth subjecting or submitting to, and how do we become a wife worth dying for? We die to ourselves, and we obey his truth. It's very, very, very simple, but it's the hardest thing for us all to do. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, no life. We must die to our will. I call them Gethsemane moments. And Jesus was in the garden. We heard about communion today. The only reason we celebrate communion is because Jesus made a decision in the Garden of Eden to die to his will and accept the Father's. He died to his emotions. He died to If there is another way, can it be done? There is no other way. I must submit my will to my Father's will and look at the result. We sit here today because a man made a decision to submit and die to his will and live for someone else's and we reap the benefit and the fruit of that. Can you imagine if me as a husband make that decision on a daily basis to love my wife, love her as Christ loves me, worth dying for, she submits to that. What type of marriage is Danielle and I are going to have on this planet? One that will glorify him firstly, one that is preparing us for an eternal marriage, and two, one that people will look at and go, what on earth... They will look at me and go, your wife is, I, my wife's not like that. And they will look at her and say, my husband's not like that. What are you guys, what do you got? We can share God. The literal process is to reflect God. It's not us, it's him in us that people are going to see. But we have a decision and a choice to make. Love is not a feeling, it's an intentional choice every day, every minute, every second. 
for a much greater purpose and a much greater calling. If I can see the finish line, I'll live according to it. If I can't see the finish, I'll live to what I'm capped at. That's why we need to have from a a heaven perspective down. Paul said, I've seen something in these reality and I'm living for it and it's shaping the way I live here, which makes my life look extraordinary. It's just ordinary as a follower because I can see it. I have correct perspective. I'm not living for self. I'm not living in the world. The kingdom of God is within me and it's advancing rapidly and my external lifestyle is a reflection of my heart. And who carries and is the number one in my life? Whew. I need a water. So here we go. What is the fruit of living like this? What I've just described. Number one, what's the fruit of Danielle and I making a choice to live like this? One, we receive the reward of inheritance at our judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment seat for Christians and at that judgment will be rewards will be handed out. Go have a read of it. It's in the Bible and some won't. Number two, people will see God's love in us, God's love in us and our marriage and be in awe. It's all about him. Will I submit my will to his so people would be, would he would be glorified? Because it's not about me, it's about him. And as we do that, people will look in awe and that reflects God on earth. I said this the other week, that's why the church is to love one another. Because it's not about us, it's about it brings glory to him. People see God in us. Do you want people to see God? Do you want people to get saved? Do you want people to spend their eternity with him? If you do, we must obey this book and live according to it. Through love, not through law, love. Because as James said, it's the best for us. We will come into a level of freedom that none of us have experienced before, if we will. Number three, God will, God and his will become centre stage in your life behind everything else. Let me read that again. God and his will become centre stage in your life behind everything else. And the fourth thing is God's unconditional love is being formed in us, which means, you know what, you know what I've discovered through this process? I'm freer to love Danielle unconditionally. I don't come into this marriage with demands what I'm going to get from it. That's conditional love. As this process starts to happen, as you understand and capture the revelation of God's love being formed in you, I'm free to love my children the way he loves me and the way he loves them. I don't have conditions on them. I don't go, you know what, you're going to be a lawyer because that's what I want you to be. I go, honey, what do you want to be and how do I empower you to get where you want to be? Because I'm not, my purpose isn't on them. My identity's not in them. I'm someone that God, I'm walking beside my children and my wife, empowering them to become who God wants them to be. And because I'm full of Him, because He's number one in my life, there's no, I don't have any hang-ups about that. Or you know, I don't need them to fulfil me. He does. Can you imagine if people live in the pla- Christians like that? What that says to a world? Give me your God. I want to know him. But while the church continues to live the way it's living with this cat mentality, the world looks and laughs. You can't even get your own stuff together. Never mind telling me about this Jesus, dude. Now there are some that are, and there's a good portion that are, but there's a good portion that aren't. Let's be honest. There's a good portion that are totally misrepresenting him. 
and doing a really good job at misrepresenting and putting a whole world off him. And there are a bunch of great people doing a lot of good work and reflecting him well, and I believe we are one of those. But let's do it more and more. And God gives us this marriage covenant, not for ourselves, but for a greater, much greater purpose. And that everyone, as is, 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 is that environment builds between a man and a wife, and if kids are blessed into that, and now you add a life group into that, and now you add a, a, a 500 local community church and then the international, you've got a church that reflects him. You've got a church that's the pillar that supports truth that Ephesians talks about on earth. I want to be part of that. I want to be someone who leads that when we only ever see marriage as an end in itself, we fail to engage in the transformational process and we will never come to realise or understand God's greater perspective for us and those around us. Now I'm just going to read out of Matthew 19. This is something we looked at at staff meeting. And there's just three key words. I'll read it quite fast. Matthew 19.3 talks about concerning, the title says concerning divorce. Um, I've been divorced, so, you know, it was before I was a Christian, but I'm not going to talk about any of that. That's all, you know, I'm not going to talk about stuff on that. So um, the reason I say that is if if you've been divorced, please, this has nothing to do with condemning. You don't hear anything of that. That's just a a word of the enemy, okay? Um, I've been divorced, and look where God's put me. I know it's a laugh. I think about myself how <laughs> we ended up here, but God's so redeeming and gracious. And anyway, let's go. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all?" And he answered and said, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." Here's the same scripture again. So they no lo- so listen. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's interesting. What does he mean by that? What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse seven. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Here we go. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. See, we live our lives according to the finish line. We live our lives according to what we can see, the level of sight we have that determines from our heart. We can't see it, we can't build it, it's not our reality. And there's a classic here, three words, the two are becoming one. Danielle and I, as I love her and submit to her, and she's, so as I love her and lay my life down, and she subjects, we are two people are becoming one. Two fleshes are becoming one person. Okay, keep that in your thinking. He says there's a hardness of heart. See, what happens is if I can't see a bigger picture, if I can't see a bigger perspective, I'm going to live for my level of sight, which can create, when things don't go my way, a hardness of heart, which means in this case here, he's not saying it's okay to get a divorce. He's not saying that Moses said, you know, it's fine here, write her out of divorce and away you go. He's saying, no, no, no. See, the reason you've got to do that is because your heart's become so hard you can't repair this damage. Your heart, it's about you, son. It's about you guys. Your will, your will, your way. But from the beginning of time, it was about a man coming with his wife and the two becoming one. 
It's been about a man. No one would run away from a true biblical model of marriage when it's outward. It's the most beautiful environment of love. The reason he's saying here is because we're living in our own understanding. We can't see this reality. So I come into this marriage with what am I going to get from this woman? She doesn't do me what she wants, doesn't do my washing, doesn't do this, do my, oh, I want sex and all these things. And vice versa, what's happened? Our hearts get hardened. We go, ooh, <laughs> flag this and we walk away. But imagine if you can see from this perspective that there is an eternal marriage that awaits. Married to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is my perspective when I come into this marriage. And part of the process, the transformational process of me becoming the bride is to love this woman that God has given me as a gift. To love her with everything I I have. But God is still number one in my life. But I, I lay my life down for her. And she subjects to that. And that very process is forming love in me for this very relationship here. So... Every decision I make, you know what? Love is a choice. We have a disagreement. I'm not walking away from this marriage. I'm working at it. Why? Because I'm seeing a much bigger perspective. I'm seeing this very environment as a means for me to fulfill my race. One of the environments. Is this making sense? You would think once, twice, three times. You go, we've got to work at this. It's a choice. It's not just a feeling. The feelings go up and down, up and down, up and down. She'll tell you, I'll tell you. Times I don't necessarily feel in love, but I know I love her. I know I love her with an agape love. And I know if I'm on this process, this agape love is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know what's happening through that? I'm becoming less and less, and God is increasing, increasing. Oh, I think John said this. He must increase, and I must decrease. This is one of the environments God gives us for that to happen. Why? Because when I stand before him, here's the bride of Christ, the bride being not just me on my own, everybody that's engaged in this process. How does God see it from the way he's designed it? Put yourself, it's a little hard to do in God's perspective, you know, because as I said so often, we, if our minds aren't being transformed then all we do is we just think our way. And he said to Peter, he said, you know, get behind me. You're the mind of man. You can't see. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why does the Bible say that there is no marriage in heaven? Yeah. We know we live forever, don't we? We know when we physically die, we're going to live if marriage is an end, if marriage is so important in the sense of it's just end, and you know we, well, this is this thing. Then why doesn't marriage continue on from a human perspective in eternity? Why does it end? Listen, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. But Jesus answers and said to them, "You are mistaken." Matthew twenty two twenty nine. He's talking about the context before this is there is one woman, seven brothers, they marry the same woman because they haven't yet produced children. And so they come and they basically say, who's going to be the husband? Jesus says this, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels, someone said over there, in heaven. Here's my answer. The reason there are no human marriages in heaven is because there is an eternal marriage between Christ and his church. 
our human marriages, first and foremost, are to point us towards our eternal inheritance. That's why they stop to exist after our resurrection, because they have fulfilled their main purpose. Here's another thought. The the eternal marriage relationship between Christ and his church has always been part of his macro plan. You know, we, I did that message, the macro purpose, and I gave you four things. We just, it's always been part of his macro plan before the foundation of the world. And he has given us the human marriage covenant and the family that comes from this relationship to point us to him, not replace him. I personally believe, you can disagree with me, it's good to disagree at times, but I I believe that our children and our wives or husbands can be the biggest idols in our lives. They actually can take the spot of God. To be honest, it's my experience in the church is people have children, they either wander off Oh, I've got to stop doing a whole lot of things now because I've got these kids. You don't see them again. I've got, to, I've got to take a break. I've got to step back. Now, hear me. There is, you've got to walk in the tension of seeking him first and allowing him and building an environment that is kingdom. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I will make this point because I look at Thomas and, and Rachel and they've just had a, had a child. And... Thomas just started worship leading, I think, probably, I don't know, maybe, but Rachel may have been about five or six months pregnant when he started. He's continuing to lead us in worship, yet his wife has a little child of, how old is? Five months old. Someone who understands and living kingdomly, rather than, you know, I've got to step down now because I can't do this and I can't, that sets you up for a fall. And I personally believe, I've seen this, that the greatest idol in people's lives are our husband, our wives, or our kids. And we, we worship our kids. We, we put them in places that is not healthy for them. And I'm fascinated by the story in the Bible between Abraham and Isaac. You see, God, Abraham, as we know, and Sarah are longing for this child. Just think about this. They are longing to have a child. He's 100, she's 90. How long has it been in his heart? I don't know, a long time. God promises they're going to have a child. He even tries to circumnavigate the, the, the way God wants to do it, doesn't he? And he does. Because it's not happening in his time. Why? Because this, this child's become such important. He goes around and goes against God. Big cool. Anyway, so God promises him this child, him this child. The child arrives, called Isaac. Then what does God ask him to do? I want you to kill him. Why? What do you think God wants Abraham to learn through this process? He's longed for this child all his life. He's consumed in it. He's even gone around God's laws and and principles to get a child. God's so gracious. The baby now arrives and starts to grow up and now God says, right, I want you to take him up over here and I want you to kill him and offer him up as a sacrifice. 
Now, you've got to remember, this isn't just any child. This is a child that has been spoken that the nation of Israel will be birthed through. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. This son he had was going to be incredibly important to the nation of Israel. But God says, go kill him. God is trying to test where his priority. God's trying to say, am I still number one in your life? You now have this thing you've longed for for so long, but am I still number one in your heart? Are you prepared to give it over? He wants to be. He needs to be. He deserves to be. And have that place right here. The challenge that I face, that we all face, is this. What groom ever wants to marry a bride who isn't wholeheartedly committed to him? I mentioned that last week when God said to me on the couch, he said, would you have married Danielle if she told you she didn't love you more than this other person? I said, no. He said, well, every day my people tell me through the choices they make, their lifestyles. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. My grace has covered them. But a relationship, guys, a marriage is two-way. And so his grace will get us in. His grace empowers us. But then there's a role that we have to play and of obedience and submission and coming under. And God gives us this beautiful marriage environment to help us end up where we need to be. I will never end up where I need to be on my own. That's why I cannot just do this thing, me and God, and flag the church or the body of Christ. I cannot do it on my own. I need God's help. He gives me environments in which to learn things for this transformation to occur and I want to, can you just grab that board up there, that'd be great, I just want to draw you a picture and I'm going to close with this I'm going to, going to well, I'm going to get a little bit creative but in saying that I can't really draw so just bear with me as I as I draw this thing and paint this picture to us all so we'd all agree that now this is, I'm just going to Can we all see God? <laughs> you guys see that? So this person we worship, Jesus Christ God, has always been. He has always been existent. And he is one, isn't he? There is no Mrs. God. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he is three in one, but he is still one. Yeah? So when he, this incredible God, and he's looking down on creation and he's, he's got this, his plan and his purpose and how he's going to do it, he creates um, animals. These are really bad cats. And one has a skirt and one doesn't, okay? Meow. How do you spell that? But when he creates the birds and when he creates animal life, he creates them as male and female. You with me? 
So he looks down, he's got all the trees happening in creation, the mountains is all good. He creates some animals, some birds, and he creates them a male and a female. But when he creates man, he creates man as one. He doesn't create male and female in the sense of, you with me? Over this side is female, he creates him male. And creation rolls on and he looks and he says, hmm, okay, this guy's not quite in his place or he's I've got to find, says a suitable helper. He goes here to try and find the suitable helper first and says, no, there's no suitable helper can be found in the animal kingdom or the insect kingdom. So what does he do? Now man is created, as we know, from dust, from the ground and blown into life. Does he do that again with the woman? No. He reaches in, he makes Adam fall asleep, and he reaches in and he pulls the woman out of man. Yeah? So now we have Eve. And she came from man. As we know, he took a rib. Are we with me so far? Okay. Genesis 2:24 says this For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5:31 says For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, verse 4 and 6, which is what we just talked about. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate the common theme in those three passages is about two pe- the two people that were created becoming the one flesh. Yes? Right, okay. Just think about that for that moment. So in theory, we had one, we had God, and we had man. Woman is now taken from man, we have two. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two are to become one flesh. Who's the other person in the marriage? Think spiritually. Don't think of the world because it talks there are three strands here bind together, male, female, husband and wife, Holy Spirit, cool, on the wheel. Think future. Who is the other person in this marriage now if they are now one flesh? Christ. This has been a pattern of God's from day one. As Danielle and I emerge together in the spirit, we are becoming the one. That's why there's no marriages in heaven because I'm marrying my king. It's a cycle. 
isn't it? It says every male that is going to get married, it's a revolving process, are you with me? Along comes the wife. So every person that wants to get married, male, leaves his wife, comes with his the female bride, they join together, they are one. Can you see, can you see what the pattern from here? God's painted it in his scriptures. He's painted it everywhere. Every person that wants to get married, when you made a decision to follow Christ, you were invited to a wedding ceremony in heaven. And there's a preparation that must be happening in our lives if we want to be part of it. The Bible says, we've looked at this in Revelation, that's why I'm telling you to go and have a look at the messages that the bride has made herself ready. There are two garments, fine linen and the garment of salvation. Have you got your fine linen garment on, which is the righteous acts of the saints? It's not just enough to say, you know what, by the blood of Jesus I'm saved and I'm going to receive everything you have for me. That's why there is a judgment seat. And at that judgment seat, God will look and determine our lives. Nothing to do with heaven or hell, that's a done deal. It's rewards, inheritance with him. And it's been there from day one in his book. But have we got eyes to see it? The groom is returning for his bride. The marriage covenant relationship is a foreshadow given to us by God as a means to point us towards him and prepare us for our marriage ceremony and relationship with his son in his kingdom. If we can capture this now, as I said at the start, and the revelation of this, it empowers your now that's the whole point. It's not just waiting for this. You, this is, that revelation will empower. You will look different. Your marriages look different. Husbands, you will love differently. Wives, you will come under this, 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 this uh, functioning role. Because it's not one, two. It's there. And both are a functioning role that form a whole. And that is what I've got to say today. <laughs> If we have questions, please email me, make a time, we can talk, all those things. I want to be transparent in this whole process. Um, and can I just encourage you to seek the Spirit. Seek the Spirit in what you've heard today. Ask the Spirit to reveal, show um, either way. So I'm um, going to be speaking tonight again. Um, so I'd love to see you out tonight. Just uh, Jesus came to redefine who we are. I'm going to talk about why he gave um, Simon a brand new name the day he met him. John, why did he rename um, Peter? Why did he give Simon the name Peter? The very first thing he said to him. So I'd love to see.